Uh, for those that don't know me, my name's Cameron. Uh, me and my wife have the privilege and honor of uh, leading the City South Gathering, uh, which is good fun. And um, uh, we also have five kids, which is even better. And so most of the kids in that video for Beach Getaway are my kids. Um, if you saw, I think there was only one baby that wasn't mine because um, we just take up the whole place. But otherwise, it's good fun. And um, I just want to say thanks for having me. I know that at the end of the day, you don't really have an option to have me here. But I do respect the time. I do respect that I get an opportunity to come and share and, and talk about Jesus, uh, which is why we're here. And, um, and I want to start off with a question. And this question is actually posed by Jesus. And he says this. He says, who do you say that I am? And I just want you to take a moment and think about it. Who do you say Jesus is? See, if you answered along the lines of like Lord or Savior or something within that category, then what you're claiming is that he holds a relationship position in your life. In fact, he holds an authority position in your life. But we often make the mistake of thinking we only need to answer that question once, when in reality, we most likely have to answer it every day, if not multiple times a day. And if your answer wasn't along those lines, then you're not off the hook. But in fact, the invitation to come and be in a relationship with Jesus is actually still pending your response. See, following Jesus, following Christ, and being in a relationship with Him revolves around obedience. And not just some obedience to legalistic rules or expectations that no one can meet, but rather an obedience that is stemmed and is birthed out of a relationship with Him that includes love. See, the boundaries that God has asked all of us to follow are only legalistic outside of a genuine relationship with him that is centered around intimacy and trust. Trust that the boundaries that he has set before us are actually there for our benefit. Uh, Rach, uh, Rach Klemke, uh, I believe, might have shared a few weeks back and, and talked on the topic of how the Bible works off a few concepts and one of them is about what produces life and what produces death. And the boundaries that are given by God are actually given so that we can experience life and all that it offers, life to the fullest, and a life that is actually meaningful, purposeful, and produces life. And it might be surprising for some of us to find out that the things that we take pleasure in are actually not life-producing. And so my encouragement for all of you this uh, tonight, wherever you're at, is that the boundaries that God has given you are not something that we should resent or actively fight against or even resist, but rather taking trust in God because He is wiser and smarter and so much bigger than we could ever imagine. Like, if we just think about it for a second, this is God, the creator of the universe who never needed to do anything for us and yet in our brokenness, in our chaos and all the problems that we created, he decided to step in and change our lives. And I get it that there are times where we just don't understand why God does what he does. Sometimes we can be blind and we just can't see forward. In fact, even in the moments 
we don't see or feel the freedom or benefit of being obedient to what God has asked all of us to do. But we need to trust him. You know, Cade, uh, hopefully Cade came and spoke here, but he mentioned that faith, the word faith is an active word. It's not passive. And faith can be best understood as trust. And so we actually need to have an active trust in Jesus. We have to actively trust and step out and walk into the things that he has set before us. We need to remember that God's ways are higher than our ways and that his thoughts are much, much higher than our thoughts. And sometimes the most simple answers are the best because we simply need to trust in him and take the burden of knowledge and control off our shoulders and place them where they rightfully belong, which is in the hands of God. And uh, I just want to pray quickly. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for the City PM community. Thank you for what you are doing here. Thank you for Murray's leadership, Lord. God, I pray that you continue to build this community up. Help them actively walk in the things that you've set before them. Help them love one another and help them love those that are broken and lost and are needing a savior. And God, I just pray that today is a day where we can recenter on you, reposition our lives back to you, in Jesus' name, amen. So we're continuing the series in our freedom and obedience. And today we're going to be looking at the topic of lust and sexual immorality. So only the good stuff for you guys tonight. And I want you to remember that as we enter into this topic, it's about a genuine relationship with God. It's about how we answer the question of who do you say that I am. And at the end of it, it's actually really about what produces life. And so we're going to look at lust. We're going to look at what it means, what it looks like in our lives. We're going to look at sexual immorality and the God-given definitions and boundaries around that topic. We are going to look at self-sacrifice, what it actually costs for us to follow Jesus. We're going to look at a new creation, how Jesus has and will transform us from the inside out. And then we're going to dive a little into my story how I, what I've gone through, and then we're going to end on one note, one final thought. See, when it comes to uh, the teaching on lust and sexual immorality, I feel like I've actually experienced all that you can experience. Uh, I moved around a lot, uh, so I've been to a lot of different churches, I've been to so many different youth groups, and yeah, if you've been to youth group when they're talking on this topic, it can either be really weird, or they don't even do it, like... Um, so if you didn't go through youth group, you may have actually dodged a bullet. But, but I, I, I've experienced teaching where they completely avoid the topic, where they pretend that no one is tempted sexually, where there's, and they act as if no one has sexual desires. I've then been to, I've experienced teaching where they've actually done really well. And it's actually transformed my life and helped me come back into a relationship with God. And then there's teaching that's that like, it felt like they took their theology from the movie Mean Girls, if you've seen it. Uh, I know it's a bit weird, but there's an iconic scene where the PE teacher gets up and says, don't have sex because you'll get pregnant and die, and then gives out condoms. And so it's like, it's just fear and hypocrisy. And so maybe you've had similar experiences, similar teachings, or maybe you've even been encouraged to explore and express yourself sexually. 
But regardless of your experience, the truth is this. God cares about you. And he cares about you so much that he cares about what happens in your heart. He cares about what happens in your mind. And he cares about what happens in your bedroom. And why does he care or why should he care? And simply put it, it's because he created us. And he created us for a purpose, not just so we can experience pleasure. And that purpose before the fall of humanity into sin and brokenness and chaos and mess and issues was a perfect relationship with God and a perfect relationship with one another. And just take a second to even try picture what that would look like. What would a perfect relationship with God look like? And even what would a perfect relationship as a community look like? I've tried to be able to picture this, and I'll be honest with you, I haven't been able to. Because all I know is brokenness. All I've ever experienced was the sinful state of myself and those around me. See, God has set boundaries in the midst of our brokenness that are actually for our benefit, not for His. He's not trying to reduce our fun, be a killjoy, control us even, but rather He's trying to protect us from burning the house down. Because a fire in a fire pit or a fireplace produces warmth, produces protection, produces life. But a fire in the middle of the house burns the place to the ground. God cares about you and he wants you to be positioned where a relationship with him can flourish and a relationship with those around you can flourish. And lust and sexual immorality get in the way of that. And so as we look into this topic, as we continue tonight, I'd love for you to continuously ask yourself, who do I say God is in my life regarding my sexual desires, my sexual thoughts? And so the main text that we're going to do bulk of the, most of the teaching from tonight is actually going to be Matthew uh, 5, 28 to 30. Matthew 5, 28 to 30. And I'll read it out for you. It says, but I tell you that, and this is Jesus speaking, by the way. Um, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye caused you to stumble, gouge it out, throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right, eye, a right hand caused you to stumble, cut it off, throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. And so we're going to look at lust, and I just want to reread uh, verse 28. And it says, But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Bit random, but uh, has anyone ever gone fishing? I, I did a little fishing growing up. I know it's so random, but I did a little. A little. I did a bit. Of, <laughs> I did a little bit of fishing growing up, uh, but I got too impatient and never caught anything decent, so I gave up real quick. But the basic idea of fishing is to set a trap. It's to set a bait that'll entice the fish to bite without the knowledge of the hook that would then be used to catch it. And why is this relevant to lust? Well, lust isn't just simply looking at someone or something and thinking it's attractive or beautiful, but rather it's based upon the desire within our hearts and minds. It's based upon what our motivation is. 
towards that person or towards that thing that actually will render it lustful or if not sinful. You know, James 1, 14 to 15 says that each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after the desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin and sin when it's fully grown gives birth to death. See, the end result of sin in our lives is actually death, but the beginning point is within our hearts and within our minds. Matthew 15, 19 says that from the heart comes evil thoughts. Lust is the birthplace. It is the beginning of a sinful action. Lust is like the fish hook where we get tricked into thinking something is good when in reality it isn't. And there's a few ways that we can understand lust. Some guys write about it as if it's a disease of passion or it's a corruption of the will or even a corruption of what is natural. But it begins in the hearts and the minds of every single one of us. And when Jesus was saying this, it's actually a moment that is linked to the 10th commandment, which is to not covet. And to not covet means, or to covet means to have a uh, a desire within that brings about a sinful action. And so we can actually extend this beyond this topic. You can have a desire within that leads to a sinful action regarding money or power or education or career or fitness. Like the list goes on because it brings about a sinful action. And so lust is a desire within that actually leads to sin. And so how do we know that that the desires we have are sinful or that they're going to produce sinful actions that lead to death in our lives? We actually have to evaluate the thoughts and desires we have by looking at their outcome. See, every desire and thought you have actually has an end goal or purpose, tangible or intangible. And so we ask ourselves, what does this desire achieve? What does this desire achieve? See, if I desire another woman as a married man, the end goal of that desire is to be with someone that I'm not married to. And that is clearly without dispute sinful. And so we can look at the end goal and go, well, that's sinful, well, therefore the thought itself or the desire itself is also sinful. See, if you're single here today or you're dating someone, to desire that person that you are not married to in a sexual way is actually a sinful thought or maybe even a sinful action because it's outside of the God-given parameters and boundaries of what a relationship should look like. Are your desires aligning with God and the standards that He has set? Or are we following the patterns of the world which say you are free to feel however you feel, free to desire whatever you want to desire? In fact, you can do whatever you want to do no matter where your feelings even take you. Pursue them as far as you can go. But we need to stop and we actually need to evaluate our our thoughts. Is this leading to life or is this leading to death? And see, once we've done that, we can actually treat the thought appropriately. See, if it aligns with God, then all good, keep going, like no stress. But if it doesn't, then we can repent 
We can turn back to God. We can reposition our hearts and minds upon Him. And I know it can be tough. Sometimes you get overwhelmed. Like I, I've experienced this. You get overwhelmed. It's almost like you can't help but not think about whatever you're thinking about. It just feels like it's just overwhelmed you, taken over. And all you think about is that one thing. And then you're like, I'm not allowed to think about this. So then you keep thinking about it. And it's just a never-ending cycle. And there's, when you have moments like that, I'd encourage you the best way to overcome them is by praying, is by turning to God and praying. Maybe that's a one-off moment. Maybe you have to do that multiple times a day. And I would even encourage you that speaking in tongues is one of the best ways to go about it because speaking in tongues builds you up. It edifies you. It's one of the only gifts that actually edifies ourselves as we center ourselves upon Christ. And so... The next point is sexual immorality. And just in case you're unaware, God's actually very clear about this topic. I know there's a lot of noise on this topic, but God's actually very clear. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 says that, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that is, that you abstain from sexual immorality. Your sanctification actually is a growing in Christ-likeness. It's a growing in godliness. So the will of God for your life is for you to grow into the image of Christ and the way that is done is by avoiding sexual immorality. Galatians 5.19 says that the acts of the flesh are obvious and then it presents a list. In that list is sexual immorality and the flesh is, is a representation of our broken state, our sinful state. And so what is sexual immorality? And biblically speaking, it is any illicit sexual intercourse. So what that means, is, and it's any f- action, it's any form of action of adultery, fornication, homosexuality, lesbianism, incest, and sex with animals. That last one's a bit wild, but they're doing it. And I think it's pretty straightforward. And so is any sexual acts outside of marriage within the boundaries of God, the definitions that he has provided? It's clearly not. And it might be upsetting for some. In fact, it was upsetting for me to find out that no amount of emotions that I have towards someone justifies sinful behaviors or or actions. In fact, no amount of love that I claimed or that you claim to have for someone actually excuses you from disobeying God. Because if we truly love that person, then we would honor and follow the God-given boundaries that he has set out before us because that is what produces life. Sin is contrary to the truth. Sin promises us a great reward, but its actual return is death. It is like the bait on the hook it promises, uh, it promises a good time, even pleasure, and yet it leads to death. See, married or not, no matter where you're at right now, God has set out boundaries before us. And they're clear. It's chastity and singleness and faithfulness in marriage. And so if we want to be free, if we need to be obedient to God in the, all our areas of our life, including this one. But it does take trust and what he has set out. Just because something gives you pleasure doesn't actually mean it gives you purpose or even fulfillment. 
your purpose is not just to have sex with someone but or let your thoughts run wild and let them just go crazy but rather your purpose is to be in a relationship with god so why should we be obedient to god in this area like any other relationship there are boundaries there's rules there's even standards the other day i went to a friend's wedding and even within australian law there's a standard or a a law on marriage it is to remain exclusive to the other person for the rest of your life and so if one person doesn't want to obey that or follow that well then they can't get married or if later down the track through their actions, they stop being faithful or stop being exclusive, the marriage will break down. God has set before us boundaries of what it takes to be in a relationship with Him. He has set them out. So why does avoiding lust and sexual immorality matter? It's because when you partake in it, you create a rift in the relationship between you and God. And you create a rift in the community that you're a part of. God has said that these things are sinful. He said that these things get in the way of a relationship with Him. Sin breaks down, even breaks down our relationship with God. And so if you turn a blind eye to these issues in your life, then the message that you are conveying is that you don't care for the relationship you have with God. See, I'm married, and uh, I'd be curious to know, actually, I'm not curious, that's mad for about what I'm about to say, but I, I, I wonder how long it would take Kayla, my wife, to conclude that I don't care about our marriage if I was unfaithful or if I was unfaithful multiple times. Like, how long would it take her to be like, mm, I don't think Cameron cares? I would say the first time. And yet, it's how we treat God how we treat our relationship with him Uh, the third point that i'd love to go through is self-sacrifice matthew 5 29 to 30 says that if your right eye caused you to stumble gouge it out throw it away it is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell and if your right hand causes you to stumble cut it off throw it away it is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Oh, let's go. I didn't know you guys had that up there. That's awesome. Good work. Our inward transformation and purity is so important to God and so intrinsic to our relationship with Him that it would be better for us to suffer the loss of an eye or a hand than to sin. Like, just pause and think about that for a second. It's better to lose your own arm or gouge out your own eye than to sin. And we could take it even one step further. Are you willing to cut off your own arm to avoid sinning? Would you go to that extent? Are you willing to trust God and deny yourself so much that when you're presented with the opportunity to sin, when temptation comes knocking, you would say, take my arm because I'd rather stay in a relationship with God. Just to be clear, Jesus isn't prescribing self-mutilation because, yeah, we'd all be done for. But he is prescribing a surrendering of all that we have, a surrendering of all that we are 
to him. Jesus says in uh, Matthew 16, 24, again, he sets out what it means to follow him. He's defining the relationship. And he says, if you want to follow me, if you want to be my disciple, you need to deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. And to, de- to deny yourself means to die to selfish motivations. It means to move away from the brokenness of our natural state or our natural self. We won't win the battle of, of sin or we won't win the battle over sin if we're not willing to suffer, if we're not willing to make the hard choices when everything inside of you is saying yes, when your flesh is screaming, just do it, just give in, are you willing to say no and deny yourself? When are you willing to not go over to that person's house, to not go on the browser on your phone, to not date that person, to not lower your morals or your standards? And in those moments, it's going to feel as if your arm is being cut off. It is going to hurt. But it's better than the alternative. And this is actually a good thing. I know it sounds a bit crazy. I'll be the first to admit that. But it's actually a good thing because it means we're slowly putting to death sin in our life. And we're on the road towards God that can produce life, that can flourish, and where we can actually be a healthy community. And a question that has often been convicting for me um, is, are you flirting with sin? Are you flirting with sin? Are you holding out just to see where it might lead you? Just pushing the boundaries just a little bit more? Or are you willing to just cut yourself off from it? To not touching it? To not go anywhere near it? We need inward transformation because sin starts from within our hearts and minds and leads to actions. And see, Jesus, I love Jesus, if you don't know. Um, But Jesus, he didn't come to conquer kingdoms and governments, but rather he actually came to conquer hearts and minds because that is where the change needs to begin. And it begins with us denying ourselves and following him. And the fourth point today is new creation. See, Jesus promises that if you follow him, that you'll be a new creation. So basically meaning that you'll be reborn, made new, so that your old self, those old sinful habits, those old sinful behaviors will no longer be in charge, but in fact, God will be. He'll be the Lord over your life. Proverbs 26.11 says, As a dog returns to its vomit, so fools repeat their folly. And what we can learn from this is that the only way to stop returning to our old sinful habits, to stop returning to old sinful behaviors, is that we need to be transformed from the inside out. And if you're wondering why you keep going back to those sinful thoughts, why you keep going back to those sinful habits, maybe, just maybe, you haven't let God transform that area of your life yet. I'm just speculating. I'm just throwing it out there. Maybe when we look back at the question of who do you say Jesus is, you have not let him be Lord regarding your sexual desires or your lustful thoughts. 
See, God loves us far too much to not not diagnose the issues in our lives. He's not going to ignore them. He's going to point them out. And he's actually going to help us with them. See, God loves us so much so that he's not just called us out of our sin and our past, but he's actually called us into freedom with him. And the worthy response to Christ's love is our love for him. And this is shown in obedience. It's shown through our obedience to him. God wants to put his spirit in you so that you can become a new creation. And I know it sounds a bit crazy. There was a a time in Armadale where I had the opportunity, it was kind of thrusted upon me, um, to share with a bunch of Kayla's workmates about why we're Pentecostal. Um, And so I'm talking about the Holy Spirit, I'm talking about when it was poured out, and their faces were like, this guy is crazy. And I was like, maybe, I was like, yeah, you know what? I am crazy. Like, this sounds crazy. But we need to be transformed from the inside out. Being a Christian, following God, means that when God looks upon us, he actually sees us as righteous and clean because of what Jesus did on the cross. And better yet, God promises that we'll actually begin to love being clean, we'll begin to love being righteous and we'll actually come to enjoy it. And when we look back and we see the sin that we once loved and the sin that we once partook in, it'll be like watching a dog return to its vomit. It'll disgust us. It'll be like, why did I ever do that? Why did I ever date that person? Why did I ever go on that browser on my phone? Why did I ever lower my morals? Why did I ever trust anyone else? other than Jesus. See, we no longer have to be trapped in our own mess because God is reaching out his hand and he's giving us a way out. We put the house on fire. Like, we did that. We messed up this place. We messed up the world, not God. And yet he's willing to deliver us from it. We need inward transformation We need to let God put his spirit in us so that we can be transformed from the inside out. In fact, so we can be transformed into the image of Christ. See, when I was growing up, uh, I grew up in a Christian home. My parents loved me. They did the best they could with what they knew. But when it came to sin, they just said, don't do it. That was it. Just don't do it. That's all they knew. And it worked for them. Just don't do it. But I got curious. And I started pushing the boundaries. I started flirting with sin. Just seeing how far I could take it. Just seeing how far I could push it. In fact, I started asking questions like, how far is too far? Where's the line when it comes to God? Can I hold my girlfriend's hand, but we're not allowed to kiss? Is that where the line's at? Or are we allowed to hug, but we got to keep our clothes on? Like, where's the line? Like, seriously, this is where I was at. And maybe you've got similar questions. And my encouragement to you would be, treat those as if they're red flags. That's a potential of wandering away from Christ. Because when I started those asking those questions, I started walking away. And see, when I went down that path, when I started pursuing my sexual desires, when I started letting the lust control me, or I was giving into it, I'll be honest with you, heart on sleeve moment, it was awesome. I was feeling satisfied. I was feeling fulfilled. I felt 
loved. I felt like I belonged. To this day, the most embarrassing moment of my life, and I'm thank, I thank God that no one else witnessed it. It was just me on my phone to my mom, was she was encouraging me to come back to Canberra. I'd run away to, run away to Brisbane. And I was on the phone like, mom, you don't understand. These people love me. And I looked back and I was like, I'm such an idiot because they didn't. But in that moment, I did feel loved. I felt like I belonged. And so I started pushing back against the things that I was told when I was growing up. I couldn't see why pursuing my sexual desires was so wrong when it felt so right. Maybe that's where you're at right now. Maybe in the moments you feel fulfilled, you feel loved, you feel like you have purpose and you feel happy. But if it's so fulfilling, why do we have to keep going back to it? In fact, if it's so meaningful or even life-producing, why do we have to experience it over and over and over and over again? In fact, when the dust settles, when the emotions wear off, why is there such an emptiness left behind? Because I know that's how I felt. Little did I know that every step that I took away, I mean, every, little, every step I took towards pursuing these desires was actually a step further away from a relationship with God. And there's a level where we have to be brutally honest with ourselves, And only you can be honest with yourself before God. I can't do that for you. But if we're honest with ourselves, and I think you could relate if you've been where I have been. At the core of it, I loved myself more than I loved God. I loved how I felt more than I loved what God had said and the boundaries that he had put before me. The core of it, it was pure selfishness because it was all about me and how I felt. The attitude that I was displaying, not just in words and actions, was that I knew what was best for my life. I knew what was right for my life and I actually knew what was good for my life. Maybe that's the attitude you have. But that's the attitude of an unrepented person. That is the attitude of someone that is not submitting to Jesus as Lord or is not letting Jesus be Lord in your life, in my life. See, as a Christian, or where, no matter where you're at, whether you're interested or not, Christians, like we don't have the luxury of having that attitude. See, as we deny ourselves or we follow Christ, the attitude that we should be displaying is that God knows what is best and right and good for our lives. I don't have any, uh, many regrets in life, um, despite all the hashtags, no regrets and whatnot, but not that I've ever actually done that. Um, but I don't have any regrets in life. I've made countless mistakes. I'll be the first one to admit that. I've made countless mistakes. But I got a lot of regrets when it comes to this topic. See, when Cade had asked me to share on this topic, I was actually quite confronted. Uh, a lot of old memories, a lot of past habits, a lot of who I was, I hope to bury and never look back. But unfortunately, sexual sin is a part of my journey, it's a part of my story, it's a part of who I was that I actually hate. And I know that's a strong word, but I hate. I, I got teary in City South, I was like, won't do it at PM. But I hate how sin has destroyed so many friendships, this sin. 
I hate how it's destroyed so many relationships. I hate how it has produced so much jealousy and bitterness and envy and deception and the manipulations and the heartbreaks and the insecurities that it produces and the emptiness and the hopelessness and the confusion and the heartbreaks and just nothingness. How are those moments so life-producing if the aftermath is destruction? See, true love, true purpose, true fulfillment is not found in our thoughts or desires, but rather they're found in a person, and that person is Jesus. Jesus is the most consistent person you'll ever experience. See, Jesus has offered a love that no one will ever be able to show you. True love is not just an emotion. It's not just feeling good or butterflies in your stomach. No, true love is sacrifice. And Jesus sacrificed it all for you. He sacrificed it all just for the potential for you to even come into a relationship with God. See, my wife loves me and I'm so thankful she does. Um... For, for reasons because um, I can be I can be challenging um, but my wife loves me but she's not Jesus see your wife your husband your boyfriend your girlfriend the person that you're trying to flirt with so you can hint that you like them they're not Jesus only Jesus can offer a love that doesn't leave us empty at the end of the day only Jesus can fulfill us in a way where we don't have to keep going back to experience more and more. Only Jesus can fulfill us in a way that actually doesn't lead to destruction, doesn't lead to communities breaking down, doesn't lead to relationships breaking down. About 10 years ago, I was doing my own thing, messing around, and uh, I had this moment, I had this opportunity where God met me where I was at. And it wasn't a rock bottom moment. I definitely could have got lower. It wasn't my lowest of lows. My friends got pretty low. They, I, I bounced out and, and it was heartbreaking to see how far they were going with the sins that they were pursuing. But it was a fork in the road moment for me and I, I couldn't ignore it. I had to give an answer. Now, I could have just pretended like it wasn't there and just kept on going down the path that I was on, but I had to give an answer. I had to, give, I had to make a choice. Was I going to trust me or was I going to trust God? Right now, you might be where I was at. You might not realize the damage, the sin, and the behaviors that you're partaking in are actually causing yourself and even the others around you and your relationship with God. Or maybe you're being convicted and you can identify and you can see the sinful actions in your life, but you actually don't know what to do about them. And I, I actually want to present to you the same opportunity that I was presented 10 years ago, which is a fork in the road moment where you can answer the question of who do I say that I am or who do you say that I am? See, you can answer it with Jesus, you are Lord, and your savior and I'll follow you and I'll choose to trust in you or you can ignore the moment 
and you can continue to trust yourself. In fact, you can continue to be your own God if you want to. And in just a moment, we're going to take five minutes where we can encounter God. But I encourage you that part of turning to God includes repentance. And uh, Eugene Peterson, I've, he says it best. He sums up repentance better than I could. And uh, he, he says that repentance is not an emotion. It is not feeling sorry for your sins. It is a decision. It is, a des- it is deciding that you have been wrong and supposing that you could manage your own life and be your own God. It is deciding that you're wrong in thinking that you had or could get the strength, education and training to make it on your own. It is deciding that you've been told a pack of lies about yourself and your neighbors and your world. It is deciding that God in Jesus Christ is telling you the truth. Repentance is a realization that what God wants from you and what you want from God are not going to be achieved by doing the same old things, thinking the same old thoughts. Repentance is a decision to follow Jesus Christ. Whether you like it or not, we're at a fork at the wrong moment tonight. And we're going to take five minutes. It's going to get silent, might even get a bit awkward, but I encourage you to push through. We're going to take five minutes where we can just pray, where we can turn to God, where we can recenter our lives upon Him. And I hope that you choose this time wisely. In fact, I hope that today can be a day that you remember. 10 years time, you can point back and go, that was it. That was when I decided to trust God again. That was when I decided to not continue in my habits, continue in my thoughts. That was when I made the decision to trust God and give him everything that I have, everything that I am, and I haven't looked back. So I hope you choose it wisely but only you can make that decision to follow Jesus. And so I'm legit, I'm going to put a timer on my phone and we go on for five minutes. And yeah, just pray, just talk to God. And if you don't have anything, if nothing's really come up, maybe just pray to God, hey, what's in my life that I need to give over to you? What's in my life that I need to surrender? I'm just going to end on this one final point, which is the end goal of being in a relationship with God is not, am I happy, but am I free? Am I growing in the freedom that God has given me? See, we'll never know freedom as long as we continue to give ourselves or become slaves to the external forces of this world. We will never know freedom as long as we continue to try and make or create our identities from the outside in. We need inward transformation that only God can provide. Are we willing to be obedient to God? Are we willing to let Him be Lord and Savior over our sexual desires? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much that you are God and that we are not. Thank you that you can see far beyond what we can see. 
that you know at the end of the day what produces life and what produces death. And so God, I pray that you help us to align ourselves with you, to recenter our lives upon what you have said, upon what you have put out to protect us from ourselves and those around us. God, I just pray that you continue to draw everyone here at City PM into a deeper relationship with you. A love that means leads to more love, a love that leads to more obedience, which means to more love, Lord. Help them have a love for each other that just bleeds out into the streets where people know that, hey, there's something different about these people. Help them position their lives where it can flourish. In Jesus' name, amen.